In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hey guys, it's Craig's List, episode one, number 100. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's what's going on here. First episode, but number 100 on your list. It's the, the number movie. 100 movie on my list. There you go. And that movie is La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. What does La Dolce Vita mean? I what, think I know. Okay. Please uh, put a theory out there, Carla. I think it means... Well, I know that Vita, I think, is life. Mm, okay. So the beautiful life. The beautiful life? Mm -hmm. I think it's the sweet life. The sweet life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because Dolce. Bella would be beautiful. Right, 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 right. And Dolce would be sweet. I should have looked that up before we did this. Like when you go to an Italian restaurant and uh, the dessert menu says Dolce because it's the sweet stuff. And you can get the gelato. You can get the gelato. You and I had gelato once outside of a famous place that's in this movie. That's right. There's a great gelato stand uh, right next to Trevi Fountain. Yep. And Trevi Fountain was so completely crowded when we were there that we were like, oh, that's really neat. Let's get some gelato. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Because we, we were like, oh, we should get some gelato. And then it gave us the energy to go fight the crowd to get close to the fountain. Just a little bit of our Roman history. That was like nine years ago almost. That was a while ago. And we're still together. Gosh. <laughs> so what did you think of this movie? Well, let's... <laughs> Let's take it one thing at a time. Okay, let's let's go slow. <laughs> let's go slow. Yeah, uh, let's as, ease our way into let's it. Let's go as slowly as it it took me to watch this film. <laughs> Damn, girl! <laughs> it took me weeks to get through this movie. Yeah, it's a long movie. It's about a three hour movie, and I felt like <sighs> we watched about the first hour and a half in one sitting. Yes, and then like a month later. <laughs> We came back to it. But I was really watching it in chunks. I did not ever really sit down and – because I would fall asleep. Right. And I'd have to go back. How many total chunks would you say? <sighs> maybe maybe four or five. Okay. I was hoping you'd say seven because some say the movie is broken into seven segments oh that represent the seven <laughs> hills of Rome, possibly the seven deadly really? sins. Really? Yes. Okay. So let's – Okay, let me read my synopsis of La Dolce Vita. Oh, okay. And then you'll tell us what the movie's really about. Sure, I didn't realize you'd be doing this. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, I won't do this all the time. I'm just doing it for this one since it's the first one. Okay. Okay, is that all right? Carla's synopsis. Okay. Of La Dolce Vita. <clears throat> I wrote this down. La Dolce Vita is a story about a man named Marcello. Marcello, who is in turmoil in life because, well... We're not exactly sure why, but we are led to believe it has something to do with a midlife crisis. Marcello is handsome, and we know this because every woman in the movie tells him how handsome he is. He's a journalist, and he has a lot of friends, or at least a lot of people he can get drunk and make out with. Marcello has a difficult relationship with his father. Maybe this is why he's such a jerk. Marcello just wants to spend time with his dad, but his dad just wants to get laid. Marcello's dad is probably impotent, though. And it seems like Marcello also has trouble with his sexual prowess. There's a beautiful model lady who runs through the Trevi Fountain in her beautiful dress. And Marcello wants to hook up with her, but she's got a lot going on with her actor boyfriend. Marcello has a woman who he calls his girlfriend, and she wants to marry him, but it seems like he uses her just to have some sort of consistency. And this poor woman is the saddest part of the movie, because she really just can't move on from this train wreck of a guy named Marcello. And then there's a lot more happening. Three hours worth of stuff happening, including children who have seen the Virgin Mary and a sad clown who dances for a group of drunk people at a club. It took me about four or five sittings to finally complete this film because I kept falling asleep. The end. Fiend. 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 Uh, I know what that means. Sure. What does it mean? Finished. Yeah, the end. Uh, <laughs> Drops Mike. Wow, what a surfacy reading of that movie, Carla. Oh. 
yeah, those are some of the events that happen in it. Uh, I think Federer. Well, I was trying to give the listeners a view of it, like of things that happened in it. Sure, those are definitely things that okay. happened in it. But I think you're missing some of the uh, the larger themes, and uh, I'm sure I am. Yeah, I, I think uh, Federico Fellini kind of uh, intended it as a critique of uh, decadent Roman culture in the early '60s and celebrity culture. Marcello is a uh, celebrity gossip journalist, and uh, I would say that Marcello Mastroianni is uh, objectively handsome, right? I guess so. I mean, sure. He's, I, he's a good-looking guy. He's fine. He's not like the most handsome. Sure. The way the way that he's treated in a film is like he should be this big celebrity because he's so handsome. Right. And like everybody wants to fuck him. Although all the women, at least, we yes, don't, we don't get into uh, any gay romance. Uh, though there are a fair there amount are, of, yeah. of homosexual characters, which I thought was in actually really interesting and fun. Yeah. I think, uh, definitely for American audiences, this movie is way more sexually explicit than anything you could see at the American box office at the time. And, uh, I think it kind of shows a really interesting world, uh, Rome of the early sixties. And, uh, I, I think it, it paints a really vivid picture of the, the people that are, that are there, the, the actors, the journalists, the showgirls. Uh, et cetera. And it kind of examines celebrity from a lot of different angles, mm-hmm. much like Woody Allen's celebrity, which mm-hmm. was a loose remake of La Dolce Vita. Did you I see saw that movie? Celebrity yeah. when I was in high school, I think, or college maybe. Yeah. Did you like that? Uh, I was, a, I am a big Kenneth Brenna fan, so I did enjoy it, although I've never seen it since then. I have not seen it since then because yeah. I, Honestly, I remember feeling the same way about that that I did about this, which is felt very long, very disjointed, very much like I didn't like this guy that I have to spend these minutes with, these hours with. And for me, as a a movie goer, um, if I can't relate to what I'm seeing on screen or at least appreciate it, uh, if I can't find my way into the story... Uh, then it feels, I feel very distant from it. It doesn't mean that it's not a good story. It doesn't mean that it's, people can't enjoy it. Uh, but I just had a hard time connecting to Marcello and his plight. This is a movie that gets richer for me each time I see it. This is probably the fourth time I've seen it and I have, uh, more and more of an appreciation for it. And it's probably going up the list, uh, up from number 100 after having seen it again really? this time. Really? Yeah, I just think it's so well constructed. And, uh, I just think Mastroianni is so great in the lead. He is kind of an enigmatic character. Uh, you know, he's wearing shades the whole time. He doesn't talk a lot. You don't really get a sense of what his backstory is necessarily to know. Uh, but I think with so many like little gestures, he kind of gives away, uh, Marcello, the characters, ennui. And a sense that he really kind of despises this life that he finds himself in and that he's searching for something greater and more beautiful and just not able to find it. Mm-hmm. And I think so there's like this undercurrent of melancholy in the movie that is so moving and uh, interesting to me. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we are going to do regularly on this uh, podcast is we're, we're going to try to watch these movies together. You know, sometimes we won't always be able to, but mm-hmm. uh, ideally, uh, Carla will be sitting next to me as we're watching the movie. And we're going to try. We're going to try. Let's and, not promise anything. Yeah. And we watch most of this movie together. I think we watched like the last 50 minutes separately. Right. Um, but one reason I'd like to do that is to be able to write down the things you say as you watch the movie. <laughs> so, uh, you don't know this, but we're going to have a, Which, what? You don't know we're going to do this, but we're going to have a regular segment called Carla's quote. <laughs> so these are some of the quotes, uh, that oh. Carla said while watching LDV. <laughs> Three hour movie. This is Carla at the 13 minute mark. How much longer is this? <laughs> She's all, she's already, all ready to give up at that moment. Carla at 17 minutes. This is so weird. (laughs) 
Throughout the whole movie, you know, it's a subtitled movie. Uh, you were reading uh, the subtitles in a thick Italian accent the whole time, um, <laughs> mocking the characters. Because it's fun to do that. Uh, these Italian movies are always about men cheating on women. <laughs> they are. They are. What a way to sum up an entire country's cinematic <laughs> oeuvre. Uh, He's such a cheater in this movie. Ugh. At one point, they were eating pizza, and you said, uh, is this before they had pizza in the United States? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know when pizza started. Oh, I had pizza where it was originated, in Naples. Oh, well. You didn't, because you were sick that I day. stayed on the boat in <laughs> Naples, yeah. <laughs> but I went and had it, and it was the best pizza I've ever had in my life. Right. But watching this movie did make me think, like, I want to know, like, when pizza was invented and when it came to the United States and all of these things that I forgot to look up before we started recording. Okay, I'm pretty sure they had pizza in 1960 of in course. the United States. Yeah. Well, you- maybe not. I okay. don't know. Uh, well, we'll we'll look into it. Uh <laughs> So you had Neapolitan pizza. I did. Yeah, let's get vanilla, chocolate, and uh, strawberry. It melted in my mouth. Yeah. Uh, A lot of the dialogue in Fellini movies is dubbed. Uh, I think it's all dubbed. Yes. Because he usually has actors from a bunch of different countries in it. They're not all necessarily Italian. Some are speaking in their native language. Right. And that is fascinating to me. Uh, And I think you kind of realize that. I think I said, pointed that out to you of like, you know, most Fellini dialogue is dubbed, which kind of leads to a artificial disjointed feeling. And you said, uh, wow, that's really dumb. Wait, I just said it was fascinating right before you read that. <laughs> well, while watching the movie, you thought it was dumb. I thought it was dumb when we were watching it because it just was like, oh, it's already hard enough to like, it's already hard enough to try to connect to this film for me. And then, so to have the subtitles is another door to go through. And then to have the actors dubbing on top of that. So that, and, but, but here's something that I noticed after you told me that some of the actors are speaking English. Yeah. Because, because, uh, the, the words that they're saying, like their mouths are matching the subtitles, but like not Marcello usually. Well, when Marcello has the fight with Emma, right? Emma. Didn't you notice that Emma is, yes, is, she's speaking, is speaking English. English and she's not an American but it's dubbed into or Italian. British actress. It was, yeah. That was I think very she was French as that actress. Why would yeah. you do that? Why would you do that, Fellini? It's so weird. <laughs> it is interesting. Like I get the appeal of the, of the experimentation part mm-hmm. of this film. I get, I get it. I'm not an idiot. Like I understand like, oh, he's making bold choices. Oh, he's, you know, doing things that other people don't do. I get that part. You guys, everybody listening. Back to Carla's quotes. Uh, <laughs> at one point, uh, a character must have said to Marcello, you're the home. Because you said, you're the home for my penis. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Bronco. Was I talking to you or was I talking as the character? I think you were talking as the character. <laughs> You might have been talking to me, though, um, I, in which case I, I missed out on that. In which case I have the penis and you're my home? Let's not investigate that any further. <laughs> uh, at one point, Bronco, our cat, was on your lap, one of the sub-characters in this podcast, Bronco, <laughs> and you said, uh, I, just, I just gave birth to this cat. <laughs> that would make as much sense as anything else in this movie. <laughs> I wasn't even drinking when we were watching this. Maybe I should have been. At one point, uh, <laughs> they're in a uh, church and they hear uh, Bach's uh, Toccata and Fugue played on the organ. And you said, uh, that's the Dracula theme, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> that is the Dracula theme, isn't it's it? It's Toccata and Fugue by Bach. I, I think that a lot of Dracula movies... Sure. Or maybe like haunted houses use that. Sure. It's public domain. Yeah. Okay. So that's they're why. like, yeah. it's basically like, this is a scary moment. <laughs> yeah. Is what it indicates. I don't think to anyone me. thinks of it as theme from Dracula. So. <laughs> Except for me. Carla at, fi- I'm, I'm someone. Carla at 57 minutes. This is the dumbest. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not that sorry. <laughs> 
when uh, Marcello meets the uh, the young waitress who kind of represents uh, purity and, and innocence. How he wants to de-virginize her. No, I don't think he wants to de-virginize her. He was totally hitting on he's her. A, no, he's attracted to her innocence because she's a simple country girl and she reminds him of his country or- origins. And he wants to hook up with that origin. <laughs> I, almost, <laughs> I almost said organs. <laughs> his country organ that he wants to put in her. Oh. Uh, anyway, you said gross, gross. It was gross. Uh, I want to name our next dog Marcello, you said. <laughs> Male or Just female? Just so I can say, Marcello. Come here, Marcello. Sit, Marcello. If it's a female dog, you can name it Marcella. Marcella. And they'll be named after uh, the British uh, cop series. Marcella. Oh, which I really liked. You guys should watch that, Marcella. I have not finished that. Craig did not like it. Yeah. One day we'll do a TV thing. Yeah. One day. Anna Friel, is that the lead yeah, actress? She's, great. she's very good. Uh, when we first meet Marcello's dad, uh, you said, Oh, Alfred Hitchcock's in this. <laughs> I was joking. I know you I were didn't joking. I really think it was him. He looked a little bit like Hitchcock. Probably a lot. And when, if uh, I said it, he looked a lot like him. When Marcello's sitting with his dad and he asked Paparazzo, uh, where his dad is, uh, he says, uh, Oh yeah, he's, uh, he's right over there next to that black man. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a strange reference point. And you said, good to know they were racist in the 60s, too. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, that's abs- of course there was no racism in the 60s. Uh, at one point you said, look at that lady's glasses. Those are awesome. The glasses that she was wearing? <laughs> yes. I loved the costumes in this movie, by the way. Sure. A-plus costume people. Uh, I could have worn all of it. I wanted to wear all of it. At the one hour 42 mark. How much longer is this? You don't care what I say. I do care what you say, but I'm moving ahead with Carlos quotes. (laughs) Uh, Oh, sad clown. Is this going to be a metaphor for the main character? (laughs) Oh, because there's a scene where the the clown is popping the balloon. Okay. Let's talk about this for a second. Can we pause Carlos quotes to actually talk about the film for a moment? Yeah. I mean, I know how much you enjoy making me sound like an idiot, but there is this part where the sad clown comes out and starts dancing. At the nightclub, yeah. At the nightclub with a bunch of balloons. And it was so, like, over the top, this is Marcello, if he were a sad clown, <laughs> surrounded by ladies' breasts. Oh, you thought the balloons represented breasts? Yes. Okay. And it was so, uh, what's the word? Mm, over the top. Heavy-handed? Heavy-handed. Okay. That would be a phrase, not a word. <laughs> wow, that's a uh, that's an interesting interpretation. Didn't of you the think movie. that when you were watching it? That the balloons represented breasts, or at least that the clown represented Marcello's sad spirit, his sad clown face. Sure, I can go along with that. Okay. Yeah, I like that. See, there's a theme that I pulled from it. At the two hour and ten minute mark, you finally fell asleep. Uh, you woke up for a second and said, "Whose wedding is this?" <laughs> There's no wedding in the movie <laughs> at any point. Well, I talk in my sleep, so I might have been having a dream. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I, I often frequently wake Craig up talking in my sleep. And then at one point uh, during the Marcello-Emma fight, uh, you were still sleeping, but he slaps her and you woke up for a second and you groaned uh, as if you could just tell that there was misogyny going on <laughs> on screen. You woke up at that exact point. I could m- sense it. To make that exact point. <laughs> you you may be some kind of feminist superhero. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> and then unfortunately, we watched the rest of the movie separately. So we I did, yeah. did not get any more choice Carla quotes. So after that, then they go to this uh, giant house. Right. And he sees this woman. Madalena. Madalena. Another one of the ladies in his life. So this is a lady from earlier that we saw. Yes. And this is his true love. Is that right? I think, yeah. It, it seems like this is the, the woman that he can really see himself with. And so he goes into this room and he sits in this old house, right? And he sits in the middle of the room and she's like, sit right here. And so he sits down and she leaves the room and she goes to like another room where she can whisper in the corner and he can hear her. There's some sort of acoustical anomaly in yes. this castle where you can yeah, whisper castle, and be yeah. heard. Yeah. And uh, she's like, I love you, Marcello. 
Will you marry me, Marcello? Please, you must marry me. I love you. I love you. I think, right? Yeah. Am I remember properly? Re- something to that effect. Something to that effect. <laughs> and, uh, and she, basically she's like putting her heart out there for him. Like, you're it for me. Da 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 da. And as she's doing this, another man who we've never seen, I don't think, or maybe we saw very briefly when Marcello got to this party, comes up to her. And starts kissing her neck. Mm-hmm. And then she starts making out with him. <laughs> Two seconds after she's like, Marcello, I love you. I could spend the rest of my life with you. And then this man, like, just, uh, and we are led to believe that she then has sex with this man in the next room. Hey, maybe that's where your mind went. <laughs> my mind kept it in a more pure place. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like they can only be honest within the anonymity uh, of the whispering room. Uh, they can only be honest with each other and say the things they've never said to each other's face. But it's just so sad because then she's like hooking up with this other guy pretty much in the same breath. Yeah. Women, right? Uh, and then Marcello's walking around the castle. Madalena, where are you? Madalena. You know, she's just hooking up with this dude as Marcello. I did feel a little bad for Marcello at this point. There you go. Yeah. But then later there's the big uh, orgy scene. Oh, but then he hooks up with another woman a couple minutes after that who's like running the party. That's right. Yeah. And Nico is also there. I forget uh, who Nico is. Nico was the lead singer of the Velvet Underground on their first album, the Velvet Underground and Nico. She also dated oh, yes. Bob mm-hmm. Dylan for a while. I think she dated Jackson Brown. She was the one when she was on screen where I was like, even more so than the lady in the fountain where I was like, wow, this lady is gorgeous. Yeah, she was, uh, she was a big deal in the sixties. She was, uh, I think she's German, but don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was an international model, uh, actress and singer. Yeah. And she has like five lines in this. <laughs> yeah. And it, he, she was the, he didn't try to hook up with her. Like out of all the women, I was like, this makes the most sense why you would lose your balls over someone. Listening to the commentary track by Richard Schickel, famous uh, film critic for Time magazine, uh, he puts out there that he thinks that Marcello was impotent, that that's uh, one of the possible interpretations of the movie. Uh, so we actually never really see him hooking up. And he's got that scene with Madalena early in the movie where it seems like they're going to sleep together and they don't. And then there's the scene with his dad, who's also kind of unable to get it on with uh, the girl he picks up at a club. Right. He has like a heart ailment. He's like, go to the store and get me some something for my heart. He says, give me a little something, something for my heart. Yeah. (laughs) So I can get a little something, something. But I don't know. Doesn't Marcello like, I feel like they're, oh, with his girlfriend, Emma. Is that her name? Yeah. It feels like they have sex. Yeah, who knows? It's 1960. They can't actually show uh, actually show intercourse uh, on screen. But right. uh, I'm just saying this is what Shickle said. All right, Shickles, calm down. <laughs> the Shick put it that out there, and I I gotta respect that. And you believe that? No, I don't believe that. I'm just putting. But it you out think there. it's an interesting theory? It's an interesting theory. Okay. Uh, is he impotent? I don't know. So, do you think that Fellini had a master plan for this, or do you think it was just like random? Uh, vignettes, uh, I'm sure they were inspired, but that he didn't really mean to say anything about any of this. Does no, that make sense? What I just asked you? Not at all. I think, uh, not at all. doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> what you said makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't think that, uh, it was random on Fellini's part. I think it's meant to be a, uh, a scathing critique of, uh, the culture at mm-hmm. the time. Our cat just opened the door. You go, Bronco. So I watched some of the DVD extras. There you go. And was this the Criterion Collection? No, but it was. It's a good DVD with some good bonus features. Yeah. Um. So they do have. Who's the actress who plays the one who tro- uh, runs through the Anita Ekberg fountain? Okay, yeah. Anita Ekberg. They have an interview with her, and she. So apparently, um, the fountain thing happened to her in real life. Like that was actually a real story oh, from really? her modeling career. Okay. And she was on a set shooting in in a fountain. I don't know if it was a Trevi fountain. I think it was just some fountain. And um, uh, the it was like in the middle of the night, and the photographer was taking not Fellini, but a different photographer was taking a break. 
and she uh, took off her shoes and started walking around and she cut her foot. And so she got into the fountain in order to clean out the cut. And she just started walking around the fountain with her holding her dress up. And then the photographer was just sitting there smoking or something and got up and started taking pictures of her. And so I guess she told the story to Fellini or maybe he saw the pictures in a magazine or something. And he basically stole this woman's story. Never tell your personal stories to a writer director, <laughs> which I'm assuming she was fine with. But I just thought that that was interesting because you think, oh, he has this master plan for this film. He's trying to say this or maybe this or whatever. But maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was just taking ideas and putting them together. And that's why it feels random. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of simultaneously like a love letter to this culture because it's probably the culture that he was a part of in Rome mm-hmm. and then kind of a, a critique of it and its shallowness uh, as well. I think it's uh, it's kind of similar to Lena Dunham's Girls mm. <laughs> in that I think it, Girls is often uh, – is, is not interpreted as a satire as often as I think it's intended to be a satire. Right. I think uh, – that she doesn't intend to celebrate these women necessarily, uh, but to critique them mm. more. And I think especially when girls first came out, there was a lot of think pieces about who it included, who it didn't include. And uh, if she was self-aware or not. If, if she was self-aware and what does it say about young people in Manhattan or, you know, should we care about these people because they're affluent and well-off? And uh, I, I think – it's uh it's meant to criticize them and because they're the lead characters we're supposed to love them you know in a certain way but i i think that marcello is not being held up as some sort of uh person to aspire to mm. uh in this movie and by the end of the movie in the uh the orgy scene you know he's which gone. i did not know was an orgy yeah uh do they have the orgy in the house or on the beach the orgy's in the house, and then they go to the beach afterwards, and there's a giant washed-up sea creature there. Right. Yeah. Which I also didn't get. Is he is he supposed to be the giant washed-up sea creature? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe everything is a metaphor for Marcello in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I well, read some interpretation where the fish is some sort of Christ symbol, I guess. Oh, we didn't even talk about that yet. All of the religious uh thematic motifs throughout the film. Yeah. Well, the very first image is of Christ on the cross being lifted by a, uh, a helicopter. Yeah. Which uh, is a very, very cool shot, by the way. Very famous opening yeah. shot. And then these bikini babes kind of waving to, uh, Marcello and paparazzo on the, uh, paparazzo. on the helicopter. Yeah. Uh, I could say that forever and ever. <laughs> uh, clearly. I could yeah. just say that word. And I could find all kinds of different subtext for it. Like, for example, paparazzo. What does that mean? What's the subtext of that? Uh-huh. Uh, you're saying hi. Paparazzo. You're uh, being seductive. Papa. Papa. Paparazzo. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're, uh, I, I, some kids beat you up and stole your last quarter. That's exactly right. Thank you. I could just say that word and you would know what I was meaning. Yeah. It's just one of those words that <laughs> conveys so much meaning. Uh, the paparazzi, of course, are named after the character paparazzo. Which is really neat. I mean, that, uh, taking a, okay, so setting aside my feelings about the film in terms of like not really liking the guy that I had to travel with for three hours of my life, um, the fact that uh, this film had such an impact on the culture to the point where a common term that we use in a different country than sure. this film was, you know, made and is still used today so frequently. And like when you say paparazzi, there's no explanation needed. Like not only do you understand what that means as a definition, but you also understand um, the implications of what that means as like a thing, you know, meaning like. Uh, probably gross, <laughs> uh, invasive. It has all of these tones and implications when There's you say a, that word. Never a positive connotation. Exactly. And, and that, that, I mean, that's pretty astounding. That's very impressive, I think. And also the, the fountain scene is so very iconic and, and really does, um, again, elicit a feeling, a response in you when you see it, even though I wasn't interested in Marcello. Or him hooking up with this woman, whether he was going to or not, um, watching her 
in this fountain gave me such an insight into the culture of the time and the period. Cool. Um, we did not talk about my favorite scene in Uh-oh. the film. Which is what? Or your favorite scene. We should talk about both of those. Okay. My favorite scene actually is when Marcello goes to uh, cover the children who've seen the Virgin Mary. Right. Um, and that to me, that whole vignette uh, is very rich with story and um, social commentary. That's meant to be a critique of the church, too, and mm-hmm. the idea of following the church as another example of a celebrity. Yes. Yeah. And and just how you see – you get to see the children and how they behave with the crowd. Um, somebody ends up dying in the crowd of heat stroke or something, right. we, we assume. And then you also see Marcello's – the closest thing that he has to a girlfriend, Emma, mm-hmm. right? Um, and her response to it. Uh, it's pretty – it's pretty cool. It's another way where the masses are pacified by religion in the same mm-hmm. way that they're pacified by gossip and uh, people are so willing to believe that saints, you know, that the virgin had been seen. Right. Uh, in the same way that you might believe anything about a movie star that you're reading about. Yeah. Anyways, I, I, I enjoy that sequence and I could have seen the whole whole film be about that or just watching Marcello go to these different uh, locations covering stories I thought would have been just as interesting. I think my favorite scene is another one that involves the paparazzi and it's after his friend Steiner kills himself mm-hmm. and kills his kids. Which is, cr- that's a crazy moment in the movie where you're just like, where the hell did that come from? Well, it's this character who's, you know, kind of a minor character in the movie, but he's kind of like the guy that Marcello is aspiring to be. If like he's sophisticated, he's cultured, he has, you know, these more like subdued intellectual parties and, uh, he's a family man. He's married with kids. And so in the earlier scene, you kind of see Marcello looking up to this guy with respect. And then we find out this guy has murdered his children and killed himself. And he does it while his wife is gone. Yeah. It just seems so it's it's so sad. That's a really sad moment in the movie. And then the paparazzi are tipped off that the, you know, the the wife is coming murderer's wife. Uh, is coming home. And she has no idea that this has happened. No idea that They her, go to the bus station. No idea that her family yeah. are dead. They're going to the bus station to pick her up. The police are there. The media are there. And then they start swarming around her and taking her photograph. And she's like, oh, you must have me confused for a movie star. Yeah, what, you think I'm a celebrity or something. Yeah. So I think that's probably my favorite scene in the movie. That is a good scene. It's so devastating. Yeah. It really is. It's so sad. Um... So there is this interesting thing, Craig, with your movie list. And I I didn't review the movie list before we started. I do know some of them just from having been with you for so many years, like your favorite movies. Uh, and I also know what you like to watch. And you tend to watch uh, rather um, maudlin. <laughs> maudlin? <laughs> Forlorn. Sad stories. You really like you really like a good a good weepy fest weep fest. Hmm. I do like to cry in the movies. You do. That's true. And uh, I'm a comedy guy. You know, I do comedy. <laughs> You're for, a comedy. I'm guy. a comedy guy. Uh, I do comedy for a living. Uh, and so the, people may be surprised that there's relatively few comedies on my list. Though there are some, and there are some very light movies uh-huh. uh, that are there for pure enjoyment uh, as well. But yeah, I am kind of, uh, I, I I like the melancholy. Yes. Uh, which I think is a better word than maudlin. <laughs> maudlin implies uh, wallowing in cheap sentiment. Really? Uh, yeah, I guess it does. And melancholy, melancholy to me implies like equal amounts of beauty and sadness. There's you know? some wallowing going on in this movie. Okay. Just... You know, I'm not saying it's every movie that you picked, but this was, there's a lot of self, um, pity <laughs> happening in this film. Well, I think we tend to seek out in art what we don't have in life, which is why like most people's lives are difficult uh-huh. and stressful. 
And so they're going to seek out entertainment that is uplifting and positive or allows them just to forget their problems. I have a really easy life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's true. I'm privileged in so many ways. And, uh, I, I do comedy and think about comedy and talk about comedy for uh, a lot of my life. So I am kind of a snob <laughs> about comedy of like my standards are maybe impossibly high. Uh, but when I want to feel something different, uh, I usually go to something a little, uh, heavier and maybe sadder. And you are a very positive person. Um, not that you walk around like, uh, you know, reading um, bumper stickers or saying like motivational poster lines, but <laughs> meaning just you're very laid back and you, you as a person expect the good to outwin the bad. Yes. Always. You, you're never nervous about the end of the road of anything because you, you just think it's going to work out. I'm pretty chill. Yeah. So in that sense, you're... And maybe you're, naive. Yes. <laughs> naive and positive. Yeah. And so therefore... Um, if I see a trailer for a film and it looks like the saddest thing I've ever seen, I know that you're going to want to go see it. <laughs> uh, I, on the other hand, maybe am the opposite and think about the negative outcomes of a lot of things. Therefore, I don't want to live in that space quite as frequently when I'm trying to relax. Not that I'm a huge comedy fan necessarily either, but I just don't, uh, I don't really enjoy the sad stuff as much as you do. You don't seek it out. I don't seek it out. Correct. Yeah. But I, you know, I'll watch it if I have to for this podcast. (laughs) What's the ideal type of movie for you then? Uh, Something uplifting, inspiring. And it doesn't have to be a comedy, but something that, uh, and I also liked stuff with women in it. (laughs) Sure. I really do. I'm just getting to a, a point in my life where I feel like I've seen so many movies and read so many books that feature men and I seek out more female storytellers at my age than I ever did before. Cause I've, I've seen this story and maybe this, this Marcello story is becoming a metaphor for all male dominated films. And I apologize for that. Maybe that's putting an unfair pressure on it, but because I have seen so many stories like this, um, I think that's another reason that I can't appreciate it to the extent that you do. And I can appreciate the fact that it was probably one of the first stories like this on, you know, on film. Um, but since then, I've seen so many stories about miserable men and their midlife crisis, you know, trying to, f- to hold on to life through, you know, young, beautiful women, uh, and getting off in that way. There are a lot, uh, there's a lot of lesser, Movies yes, lesser and perhaps, TV yes. shows that that cover the same territory. The anti-hero who's tormented, you know, with all of his various women that he's juggling and uh, drug addiction and whatever. And it's just it's been done, and uh, we don't need to see it anymore. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> High five mentally across the table. Yeah. Uh, you know what I would like to do is to read a quote from the great Roger Ebert. Uh, my, my favorite film critic and La Dolce Vita was uh, one of his great movies on his great movie list and he writes an essay for uh, each of those movies and uh, this is a little something uh, that Roger Ebert wrote about the movie movies do not change but their viewers do when I saw La Dolce Vita in 1960 I was an adolescent for whom the sweet life represented everything I dreamed of sin exotic European glamour the weary romance of the cynical newspaperman. When I saw it again around 1970, I was living in a version of Marcello's world. Chicago's North Avenue was not the Via Veneto, but at 3 a.m. the denizens were just as colorful, and I was about Marcello's age. When I saw the movie around 1980, Marcello was the same age, but I was 10 years older, had stopped drinking, and saw him not as a role model, but as a victim, condemned to an endless search for happiness that could never be found, not that way. By 1991, when I analyzed the film A Frame at a Time at the University of Colorado, Marcello seemed younger still, and while I had once admired and then criticized him, now I pitied and loved him. And when I saw the movie right after Mastroianni died, I thought that Fellini and Marcello had taken a moment of discovery and made it immortal. There may be no such thing as the sweet life, but it is necessary to find that out for yourself. Wow. 
Wow, that is so much more well written than my synopsis was. Well, I don't know. It was pretty close. <laughs> that actually, uh, I love the idea of revisiting a film and it affecting you differently at different stages of your life. I mean, it, in theory, that's what great cinema or great art even is supposed to do, right? Yeah, I think it'll be a common theme in this podcast because some of these movies are movies I've watched since I was a kid. Others I didn't see until I was an adult. And that's changed, uh, over time of, you know, the things that, uh, that I got rid of and the things that I've held on to mm -hmm. according to how I've changed. Awesome. Well done, Roger Ebert. Hey, I once met Roger Ebert. I, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you know. I'm going to tell that everybody else listening. <laughs> okay, tell them the story. So I was like 13 or 14, and um, I was with my best friend Angie in Minneapolis, um, and we lived in Kentucky, but we were on a church trip. A church trip. I don't even remember what trip this was. It was some sort of conference for church people. <laughs> Okay. Uh, anyway. Just spreading the gospel in uh, yeah, the Twin something. Cities. Uh, so we were in Minneapolis and, uh, we had a, a day where we went to the Mall of America. Wow. And Angie and I snuck off on, snuck off? Yeah, snuck off on our own. <laughs> I think I wanted to say snuck up on Roger Ebert, but we snuck <laughs> off on our own and we went to eat it. Snuck off. <laughs> we went to eat it. Uh, uh, Planet Hollywood, and he was there, and he was like sitting. At he was the eating at Planet Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> yes, he was sitting at another table. I bet he got lifetime free meals Probably. at Planet Hollywood. And the, we had never seen a celebrity in our lives. At least I hadn't. I don't think she had either. And we were huge movie fans. Like we went to the movies every single weekend, um, and so we totally knew who Roger Ebert was. And in the middle of his meal. I'm sure his fork was in the air on his way to his mouth. We hopped up and went over and said, uh, Mr. Ebert, can we please get a picture with you in the middle of his meal? Uh, tacky what amateurs. Do you think he was nice about it? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say he was. He was not. <laughs> See, he, I'm an optimist. You are an optimist. I think the best of Roger Ebert. He was not happy um, that we interrupted his meal, understandably so. Although at the time, we were just like, what is this guy's problem? He did take a picture with us, though, and he barely smiled. Um, I'm going to put it on our Twitter account. Did you do the thumbs up, thumbs down? We did not. Dang, oh, we should have. what a missed opportunity. Man, if I ever get access to a time machine, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to that moment and get him to put his thumbs up. I met Roger Ebert at the Chicago Film Critics Awards in 19, yes. uh, 2001. In I think 1902. It was. 1902. <laughs> uh, the great train robbery had just come out. <laughs> Ebert gave it a thumbs up. <laughs> train comes right at you. Pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, 2001. And uh, I was working for Second City at the time. And that's how I got access to the awards. And uh, I think we asked for a thumbs up, thumbs down picture with him. And he's like, oh, Second City. I'm going to be writing reviews about your movies someday. Aww. And that never happened. Did any of you, were any of you in movies? I know you weren't, <laughs> but are you been in a few movies? Well, Rich Salarico was there, and he was in High Fidelity that, I saw that him very in same year. Yeah, yeah, I was in High Fidelity. That's right. You are. I am. If you uh, go to the uh, – is High Fidelity on your list? Am I allowed to ask that? It is not, it but is I, not. Love, that so I love that movie. I love that movie. There will this, be – That would be on my list. There will be an opportunity to talk about John Cusack. Oh, okay. On the list. Oh, say anything. <laughs> I bet it's say anything, you guys. Well, I can't reveal anymore, but uh, – Or could it be Pretty in Pink? Is John Cusack in Pretty in Pink? Isn't he one of the nerds who takes her underwear? Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so I guess not Pretty in Pink. Um, that would be on my list too. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. I'm in High Fidelity. Well, we'll talk about it when we talk about John Cusack. In the meantime, if you guys want to watch High Fidelity, you can see me for two seconds. <laughs> You're doing extra work. I'm doing extra work. Okay. Yeah. I, I know I made it sound like I had a speaking part. I did not. <laughs> what? No. That, that's awesome. That's oh. awesome that you <laughs> You're in one more cool movie than I'm in. Okay, next part of the podcast. <laughs> uh, should we do khaki theater or? Oh, yeah. Great. Let's do it. Okay, so explain what it is. This is the first time we're doing it, right? Okay, we're going to have a regular segment on this podcast where we try just from memory. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and it's actually been a couple Not weeks since, since we watched this movie uh, to replicate uh, a, a scene from it. 
So uh, what scene from La Dolce Vita would you like to recreate? I think I want to recreate the scene where Marcello and Emma are in the car fighting and he makes her get off on the side of the road and he drives away and he comes back the next day to pick her up. Okay. Is that right? Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. Do you remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> this is great because Craig actually has a fantastic memory and my memory is for uh, shit. So yeah. well, we'll see. I remember the general tone of this. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It's it's this is just a fun thing that we do. Okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're improvising. Also, it's in, you know, Italian, dubbed Italian, even right. though Emma actress lady is speaking English. So whatever. You ready? Uh Emma, I am so tormenting in my life. Uh, with your suffocating love for me, your unconditional love is driving me crazy. Marcello, nobody will ever love you like the way that I love you. Please do not leave me. You cannot leave me, Marcello. No, I'm going to leave you by the side of the road here. No, I, I will not get out. You can never leave me. I am your, I am yours. I am yours. No, uh, don't, don't embarrass yourself, Emma. Come on. (laughs) Stop crying. What? Did the kids, uh, steal your last quarter? What's going on? Oh, oh, fuck you, uh, Marcello. I, I'm leaving you now. You, you can't never, say that in a movie in 1960. You, you will never, you'll never find anyone who loves you as much as I do. I'm getting out of the car. Get Slam. The, get the fuck out of the car then. You whore. You whore. You are a whore. No, you, re- no, you really are a whore. Okay, I'm going to slap you across the face now. No. Ouchie. <laughs> Oh, did I hurt you? You hurt me, Marcello. I'm still outside of the car. Look, I have so many other lovers going on in my life, okay? And it's crazy. Oh, I know. I smell their, I smell their pussies on your breath. You smell? No. Yes, I do. Their pussies are not on my breath. Yes, you need to brush your teeth much more often. I do brush my teeth three times a day. Then you must be having pussy four times a day. I also floss regularly, okay? And most halitosis comes from a lack of flossing and not a lack of brushing. You break my heart. Okay, get by the side of the road, you whore. Goodbye, my channel. Goodbye. I'm going to go drive away in my fancy sports car. (laughs) Okay, Smoke a cigarette. Smoke a cigarette. Smoke a cigarette. And I'm going to come back the next day and pick you up. It's the next day. It's the next day. I'm holding a flowers. I found the flowers. I picked the flowers from okay, this person's farm. Okay, just silent, silently get in the car, okay, Emma? I love you, Marcello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can never leave me. We're going to go home and make love now. Or am I going to try to? Scene. And scene. That's Khaki Theater, the oh. Dolce Vita style. I think we pretty much replicated. Nailed it. Yeah. Like they nailed it to each <laughs> other later. Uh, okay. In summation, Carla, do you want to give this movie a letter grade? Mm, like an A through F. I was thinking like L through Q. Yes. A, <laughs> a through F. Yeah. What okay. do you want to give it? <laughs> like a D. Like a D? Okay, okay, okay. This is one of the classics All of right. world cinema. Yes, I get it. And the cinematography is beautiful. The acting's great. Factor in everything. Costumes are really good. I get it. Okay, a C minus. A C minus. A C minus for uh could have been better. Oh, okay. <laughs> what uh, is there a similar movie that you would recommend to people? A like similar in- movie. Well, instead of La Dolce Vita, watch this instead, oh, which gosh. is something that Carla would recommend. Um, I feel like you're putting me on the spot with this one. Uh, instead of La Dolce Vita. Uh, you should watch Life is Beautiful. La Vita e Bella? With Roberto Benigni. Sure. <laughs> who walks across the people's faces when he gets Academy Award. Yeah. God, my Italian accent is the worst. Immaculate, I was going to say. Conception. Uh, okay, so you think people should watch <laughs> Life is Beautiful? <laughs> Instead. Just yeah. because it's Italian. The, the common factor is Italian movies. And that guy makes me smile. That Roberto. Sure. Even during the Holocaust, you know, he can keep you upbeat. He's got a positive attitude. Talk about an optimist, huh? Now that's one with a sad ending that's still uplifting. And so I can watch that movie. Okay. Well, it's not on the list, though I like it. it. Yeah. Darn it. Uh, Okay. Well, thanks for talking about Dolce Vita with me, Carla. That was fun. It was a blast. What's up next, buddy? We've only got 99 movies to go. (laughs) And uh, number 99 on the list. Uh Uh-huh. Are you ready for this? 
This movie was the best. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, just say it. This movie was the best picture winner in the year 2003. It is by Peter Jackson. Uh... Dun, 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 dun. Not that's, Star Wars. That's Darth Vader's theme. <laughs> but it's uh, it's one of those epic movies. It's Maybe the, it's called Lord of the Rings. It's called The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Which one is that? It's the final episode or the final installment of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Sir, are you saying that you're going to make me watch the Lord of the Rings movies out of order? Well, it's the only one that's actually on the list. I like all three movies, but I, I didn't feel like I could lump them together as one. Oh. So this is the only one that represents the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers are on my additional favorites list. Okay. Uh, and uh, The Return of the King is in at number 99. And this is about a four-hour movie. Are you cool with Holy that? Holy fuck nuts. <laughs> are you serious? Yes. So What you, are you doing? You, you watch- have to space it out so that I can watch something easy breezy. Well, I didn't intentionally put these movies back to back. That's just the way that it oh is. Oh, my God. So you'll need to watch at least an hour and 20 minutes. Ugh. Have you seen this movie before? I have. I like this movie. I saw it in the theater. I saw all of them in the theater, but I don't ever need to see it again. Like, I've seen it. I will watch it again because it's only number 99 and I can't give up already. <laughs> I can't give my one of my three freebies away at number 99. I'd be the worst. I'd be the worst co-host of a podcast ever if I did that. So I will watch your four fucking hour movie. Okay. I think we have the extended cut, but we can... I think it denotes the uh, extra scenes, so we could skip the uh, additional scenes. What does that mean? What are well, all the, the words the, you just said? The theatrical release was about three hours and 20 minutes, and then the DVD has all these additional scenes that they added onto it and worked it into the uh, the movie. But uh, Is that you, like a director's cut? Yeah, it's a director's cut. Yay, yay. So we're watching the director's cut is what you're saying, or we're not? I'm saying we could skip the extra scenes to make it the theatrical release. Okay, well, then I have a question to ask you. Okay. For the number 99 spot on your list, is it the director's cut or is it the theatrical released cut? Because uh, they're two different movies, right? They have to be if they have well, two different versions. They're pretty much the same. Well, which one do you like better? I think I like it a little shorter. Okay, great. <laughs> then we're going to watch the theatrical release. I think release. I prefer the theatrical release. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That works for me. So it's a two-hour movie then, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's still over three hours. Okay. And viewers, I'm sure you've seen Return of the King, but if you want to uh, re-watch it in preparation for episode two, number 99, please do so. Great. This has been Craig. This is Carla. And we're signing off on Craig's list. Thanks for listening. Arrivederci. Arrivederci, Bella. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>